0: So Paul writes this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The historical context is, um, pro- provides a lot of insight into uh, what Paul is sharing with his beloved son, uh, Nero is the emperor of Rome, and uh, there's no real good way to describe Nero. He is uh, a narcissistic maniac uh, that released upon uh, God's people and, and the people of Rome uh, just utter destruction. Uh, Nero, the historical record, is pretty conclusive that Nero set Rome on fire, and it burned half the city. And what Nero did is he flipped it. He used the Christians as as the object uh, of his wrath, and he blamed the early uh, early Christian church uh, for that for that fire. Not only did Nero do that, but he also used his own resources, the tr- his own treasury, to. Uh, ingratiate the people to him by uh, giving them grants to rebuild homes and and rebuild infrastructure. Uh, Just absolutely ruthless. Uh, Crucified Christians used them as living torches to light uh, the roads in Rome, Uh, dressed them up like wild animals, slaughtered them in the Colosseum, Uh, and yet And yet, in the midst of that, Christianity flourished. Yet, in the midst of that, Christianity was victorious. And what it points to is not the mere um, transfer of information, like Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, went to the cross. It, It wasn't a transfer of information, it was a transformation of heart that led the Christians to be victorious. It was an experience with the living Christ that brought about a transformation in their heart and life where they realized that, that the only true life is found in Jesus Christ. And today we we settle for the transfer of information or uh, a false gospel rather than having an encounter with the living God that's transformational. So look at this first verse here, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. There's three little sections of this verse that I'll call your attention to. The first is Paul, and the last part is the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul, who used to be called what? Who? Saul. Saul, chooses to find his identity not in his own, say, pedigree. He chooses to find his identity and who he is in the life that Jesus Christ has given him. And so Paul was on his way to Damascus and the living Christ intervenes in Paul's life and doesn't give him, uh, doesn't even give him a catechism, doesn't give him a creed, doesn't give him a complete New Testament or, you know, complete New Testament. What does Jesus Christ give him, gives him a new life from the inside out, changes Paul from his very core into a person that is focused and devoted to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, when we look at listen to the songs that Natasha uh, led us in this morning, thematically, over and over again, the the call of the worship set, was to draw our focus to Jesus Christ. Because wherever our eyes are on, that determines where our feet follows. If you take a look at with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, you see Paul uh, give us a remarkable insight into spiritual transformation from the inside out and how, what role we play in that transformation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 uh, verses 5 and 6 are very familiar to us. It says in 5 and 6, we destroy arguments and every lofty uh, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And we're, we've we uh, become like familiar with that text because the spiritual battles are won or fought and in our mind, and what we choose to do with our thoughts. But then Paul goes even a little bit deeper in verse 7. He says, look at what is before your eyes. He says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he's in Christ, and then Paul says, so aren't we. What's interesting about this text it has a lot to do about where we, where we fix our eyes and how we do internal dialogue with each other. If we fix our eyes on a particular object, we're most likely going to become like that object. If we remind ourselves of, of uh, uh, say, truth, we align our mind, we align our heart, but, our, but where we look is so important. And so spiritual transformation is is about looking to Christ, finding our satisfaction in him, and reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul does in this opening verse. Take a look at it. He says, Paul, the little one, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And so the life that Paul focuses on is that eternal life, that life that Jesus Christ imparted to him on the, way, on the road to Damascus. The applications of this are significant in our own spiritual development, but also in the development of our children and grandchildren. One of the things that helps me stay focused is the classic spiritual disciplines. And so before the sun rose this morning... Over Salem Harbor, and it rose. uh, uh, I think it was um, at six twenty-nine this morning. The sun rose. Is that is that right, Josh? I mean, so the sun rose over Salem Harbor. And before the sun rose, I had my time uh, focused on God's word, nurtured my heart in prayer, and let my focus. Be drawn to Jesus Christ. Let my heart find its satisfaction in Him. And so, if we're to grow spiritually, if we're to experience transformation in Christ, it has to do with discipling our own heart, it has to do with training our own heart, as Paul did, to find that the only life we truly have is that life that we find in Jesus Christ. And we train our heart and we disciple our heart. Some teachers say it this way. The gospel, we need to preach the gospel to our own heart as Christians. So often we think of the gospel as for someone else, someone that doesn't know the Lord, but the gospel is for us. And as we train our heart, as we disciple our heart, as we let our focus rest on Christ, then we're going to grow closer to him. That's the application for us. What's the application for our children or our grandchildren? The application there is, is uh, not just the transfer of information, not just memorizing the Bible verse, although we need to memorize the Bible. It's not just on uh, calling them to a standard of obedience, even though we need to call our children to a standard of obedience. The key to raising up godly children is to point them to a living relationship, a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ, that you can know the Lord, and that you can seek after Him, and He will reveal Himself to you, and He will come and change you from the inside out. I think sometimes, as parents and as grandparents, we're just satisfied—we're just satisfied with the outward manifestation of godliness, and we don't call. Our children to have an encounter with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in the same breath, we do the same for ourselves. In other words, we get to that place in life where we're, we're whatever, we're 18, we're 23, we're 63, we're, where's are that dear saint that's 70. Anyway, we get to that place in life where we, we find, like, okay, we're all right. We're, we're just making it. Where, yeah, we've been saved for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Rather than, as Paul did, was continually find his satisfaction in his identity in Christ. And so he, do, does, he chooses not to use Saul, but Paul, because that's the identity, that he's found in Jesus Christ. Take a look at, if you want want a powerful verse that speaks to this, come with me to Galatians chapter 2. I can hear myself. Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live By Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. True spiritual transformation and true spiritual growth is not satisfied with externals. True spiritual growth and conformity conformity (laughs) conformity to Christ examines the heart. And ask the heart a simple question. Where do you find your satisfaction? And in Paul's life, the only satisfaction that really ministered to his heart and his soul was found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because Christ was the one that could give life. And the only true life is found in Jesus Christ. And so if you are sitting here this morning, maybe you've been raised up in a Christian home. And you know you got the outside all together, but your heart is far from the Lord. It's not about the outside; it's about letting your heart be shaped by grace, letting your heart find its satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And that process is a, is an intentional process of keeping our focus on Christ, allowing the Word of God to shape our mind and to renew our mind, so that we train and disciple our heart towards a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, training our heart and mind, and as some say, speaking the gospel to ourselves. And so when we get up in the morning, the best way to start your day is with the word of God in prayer. Because you train your heart, you disciple your heart to, from the very beginning of your day to be focused on Jesus Christ. Now, those things are called the spiritual disciplines, and some would say, oh, Conway, that's, that's legalistic. That's a ritual. Well, it could be legalistic. It could turn into a ritual with you. But for the most part, if you keep your heart centered on Christ, what it's like is about going to the gym before you go to work. It's like taking that, uh, uh, taking that run or that jog in the morning before you start your day. And so the challenge uh, I guess I'm putting to you this morning is, is are you, have you been transformed, as Paul demonstrates, by the life that is in Christ Jesus? And if you've not pursued that, that's life, and that's the place that you'll find fulfillment in your life, and you'll find a place where you're anchored to Christ, not based upon the circumstances of your life. And if if you're anchored to the circumstances of your life, your your maturity in Christ is going to go whoop, 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 whoop. You're going to go back, up, down, and all around. Whereas if you let Christ be the focus of your life and understand that anything that has to do with life and eternal life is only found in Christ, you'll begin growing again. In the middle of the text, Paul says this. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why does he say that? Well, Timothy's dealing, as we know from our study in 1 Timothy, Timothy's dealing with some false teachers, right? And so Paul establishes his apostolic authority to speak and to direct the affairs of the church. Now, the word apostle can be used in two senses. The first one is more of a technical sense. It refers to the 12. And Jesus called the 12, and he says, come follow me. And those apostles uh, met certain criteria. Uh, the first criteria is they were called by Jesus Christ himself, right? Right? Second criteria is what? They saw the resurrected Christ. Third, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do signs and wonders, right? Matter of fact, there's some accounts and acts that are just absolutely wild. Their shadow crossed them. They were healed. They took uh, cloths that Peter had touched and used them to heal other people. Remarkable, remarkable stories about the apostles and they were the foundation, right? They were the foundation of the church. Not only that, in a very practical way, they could speak uh, they could speak across the whole church authoritatively. Uh, the Lord used many of them to write Scripture. And so in a technical sense, the 12 were very unique and had a unique qualification. The second use of the term is, is really anyone sent. Could be a missionary, could be a church planter, could be you and I uh, that were sent and empowered to preach the gospel. Why, why spend five minutes on this? Why do it? Why make the distinction? Because today uh, you have self-appointed men going around saying, I am an apostle. And when they say that or claim that, what they expose is their lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of what a true apostle is. Are they sent? Certainly sent. Are they proclaimers of the gospel? Certainly sent. But have they seen the resurrection have they seen the resurrected Christ? Have they been called by Jesus by name? Jesus appearing to them in particularly. The 12 and plus Paul? Absolutely not. Do they have authority over the whole church? Can they write scripture? Can they speak authoritatively? Absolutely not. And so today in our culture, we have self-appointed men going around claiming an authority that's not theirs. At best, at best, They display a lack of knowledge of Scripture. At worst, they're cunning, manipulative, and only interested in control and power and wealth. And so when we look at the Scriptures, Paul says, I'm not self-appointed, that I'm an apostle because Christ called me, and I've seen the resurrected Lord And he's empowered me to do signs and wonders. And he's given me authority. And so the Apostle Paul uses this terminology to express to the church at Ephesus and the churches of Asia Minor of his authority and, by default, Timothy's authority. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Now, in 1 Timothy 1, 2 He calls Timothy his true child in the faith. And what we see is Paul's heart, and we'll look at this when we get to chapter 2, verse 2. What we see is Paul's heart to mentor, to discipleship. We see Paul's heart of affection towards Timothy. We see his uh, commitment to Timothy. And then he comes and gives him uh, really a blessing in a way that... uh, uh, encompasses uh, really a summary of the gospel. He says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, grace uh, is that undeserved favor from God that we experience. Uh, mercy is the deliverance from the, what we do deserve we don't get. We're delivered from the consequences and grace and mercy, he comes to peace as the means for that ongoing transformation in Christ. And so when we look at these first two verses, what Paul demonstrates is what a mature Christian looks like, is that he keeps his focus on Christ. He finds that that true life is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, And out of that personal relationship comes that ongoing transformation that Paul experiences through the grace and the mercy and the peace that comes from grace and mercy in the heart of the believer. My challenge to us, my challenge to myself is continue to press in. Continue to say to the Lord, Lord, bring about Christ-likeness in my life. And bring about the transformation that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. We get to close our service this morning by uh, celebrating the Lord's table. And it really is that, that place of helps us to focus on all that Christ has done for us. And so take a moment. Close up your Bibles. Uh, take a moment and go before the Lord and say, Lord. Lord, I want to be changed from the inside out. And invite the Lord to come into your heart and into your life and to do, uh, to do a work that only he can do. Take that moment and say, Lord, uh, change me from the inside out so that following after you comes as easy as breathing in and breathing out. And so take a moment to do that, and then we'll share the Lord's table together this morning.